You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. <laughs> Everybody's got a price, it's the million dollar man. <laughs> Podcast in demand. Understand. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a pod, it's the million dollar What's up, everybody? It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we are back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. And of course, I couldn't do it without my buddy there, the Million Dollar Man. Look at that. That's that's a Dallas Cowboys thing he's got there, isn't it? That's exactly right. So I want all my fans out there, I know you're all over the place, and I know you you got your team. I'm just letting you know that my team's the Dallas Cowboys and has been <laughs> since I was a little boy, way back. I mean, I must have been 12 years old. And I was in Wilcox, Arizona, this little town where my grandparents lived. I was living with them at the time, and they had the the four four dealership. They had a they called it the punt, pass, and kick contest. So you would punt the ball, pass the ball, and kick the ball, and they 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 would uh, tally it all up, and whoever won first place got the first place, second place. I mean, there was there were, there were three place. For three places, they had something, but the first place winner, which that year was me, right. I got like a, a letterman's jacket, and don't you know, it was the color of the Cowboys, and right there, they had a Cowboy emblem, and so ever since then, buddy, I've been a Dallas Cowboy fan. I live in Mississippi. I'm only 180 miles from the New Orleans Saints. And, uh, and, uh, of course, you know, I've got family members here who've lived there here a long time and the saints are their team. And I said, well, yeah, okay, that's okay. But, uh, and if you go 400 miles the other way is the Atlanta Falcons. Nah, I don't care about them. <laughs> Hard to care about <laughs> I, them. I, I am a cowboy all the way, man. And you got to see, uh, by the way, for our listeners who are not into uh, football talk or Dallas Cowboys talk, I'm sure we've got some Eagles fans listening right now. Go ahead and skip ahead, but whatever, five minutes, uh, we'll get to the to the meat of the show. But right now we're talking Cowboys because it's playoff time and we're pumped up. Ted, <laughs> you got to see uh, the greatest eras of the Cowboys as well. Uh, so you got to, I imagine, watch the Roger Staubach era. And oh, yeah. Troy Aikman era. So, like, man, you you got to see the success. Yeah. I've seen mostly failure since I became yeah, a Cowboys yeah. fan. Um, I saw Staubach, you know, and I saw uh, Jimmy Johnson's run as a coach there. Uh, I've seen just about all of it, and uh, and I guess the other the, the other my other my other very good friend who's uh, uh, like myself a very devout d- devoted Christian. His name is George South. Mm. George has a wrestling school and he, li- he lives in the Charlotte, uh, uh, Charlotte area and, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And, um, I don't know. I may have told this story if, if I have, uh, well, everybody's going to hear it again. He loves the Cowboys and, uh, he would pull his ring. I, 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 I was doing Back when the, uh, there were still guys that wrestled with me, that they were still wrestling a little bit, I would call on some of those guys, and I would I would get like the Road Warriors to come and do one show, and but George would pull his ring to wherever I was, 
and we used the wrestling show as bait to draw people in to a church. And then after, uh, after the show was over, I mean, the show would end uh, by me coming out and interrupted a match and doing this gig. And, and, uh, and finally it's kind of like, I'm the million dollar man. And I keep offering this guy, he just wins. And I said, you know what? He like, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll give you, you know, uh, this much money, this much money. And finally he says, uh, he says, I, I can't be bought. I said, kid, everybody's got a price. And I said, what's yours? He says, I can't be bought. I said, well, what makes you different than everybody else? He says, I've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's when I came, come out of character and I just become Ted and I start sharing uh, my testimony right there from the ring. Did it all over the place. Anyway, back to George South. We were someplace in Texas. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember where, where it was. But uh, on the way back, um, he said, I have got to stop at Cowboy Stadium. And so, I mean, I mean, it's not a game or anything. It's just the stadium. He says, and so we're, 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 I said, okay, George. And so we, we pull up to Cowboy Stadium and everything and this, you know, the gates and everything and all that stuff. And he's just, he's just kind of looking around. And then one of the groundskeepers comes, you know, and George will say, hey, sir, you know, don't, don't be worried. He said, you know, I'm, we're not vandals or anything. He says, he says, I'm just a big Cowboy fan. And I said, Sir, he's about probably the biggest cowboy fan I've ever known in my life. And so he says, really? And uh, said, yeah. He says, well, tell you what I'm going to do. And he unlocks the gate and brings us in and takes us on a tour of Cowboy Stadium. Incredible. Down where the locker rooms are and all that stuff. And, uh, and so, I mean, George was just, you know... <laughs> You know, he was beside himself. And uh, so as we're, we're getting ready to leave, he says, boy, I, just, I wish there was something I could I could have. And I, I don't know how, how the guy did this, but he gave him a seat, one of the seats from the stadium. Wow. Which you know, I guess they, they could replace, but he, he gave him a seat. So George has got, man. Uh, he's got, he's got, you know, not only is a big cowboy fan when he's at home and they're playing, he says he can sit in one of the seats <laughs> from Cowboy Stadium. Um, anyway. Absolutely incredible. And look, it's, uh, you and I have talked about it off air. I think next year you and I are going to have to go to a Cowboys game there in Arlington. We'll tailgate. We'll do the whole thing. Maybe I can convince Jake the Snake to come along for the tailgate and have some fun and yeah. uh, take in our Cowboys because all three of us are huge fans. Yeah, absolutely. We got to do that. This week on Everybody's Got a Pod, we're doing something pretty fun as we take a look back 35 years to the WWF at the start of 1989, which of course means the Royal Rumble. As many of you know, I also host podcasts with Jake Roberts and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and it occurred to me that I had the opportunity the opportunity to do something really fun. So Ted, yourself, Jake, and Jim were all at this event and all played key roles, so I had decided I would talk to all three of you about this pay-per-view and get three unique Hall of Fame perspectives. So 
If you folks enjoy what we do here, please go check out The Snake Pit with Jake Roberts and The Hacksaw Hour with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and get the full story behind Royal Rumble 1989. It's interesting getting to talk to you, Jim, and Jake every week because you guys all had these careers that were on very similar paths. You guys were all yeah. in Mid-South at the same yeah. time and WWF. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, I, and again, uh, Jake, you know, by this time was a baby face and, uh, I think he was, wasn't he? Yes. I mean, yeah. By the time he was a baby face and I mean, uh, I loved to wrestle with Jake. It was so easy because Jake and I came from the same school, if you will, the same, like, uh, um, you know, the same, ideology you know this is what this is this is wrestling this is how you this is how you should do it and and so it was it just it was easy to work with him and i mean it was kind of like and we got to know each other well enough while we wrestled that we could just position ourselves in a, in a, in a it's kind of like if for example if if he were to you know like uh, duck a duck a clothesline and he comes off and and uh you know, hits me and I go down and I stagger up to my feet and I, I start, uh, I start staggering to toward a corner with my back to him. Well, then he would just come behind me, grab me by the air and run my head into that turnbuckle. But uh, he knew because I was already walking to the corner what I wanted. So things like that. Uh, and it was just, yeah, but yeah, he was easy. Yeah. I, working with Jake was like a night off. It was really, really was. It's really fun getting to talk to you guys because your your personalities are pretty different in a lot yeah. of ways. But like when when it comes to wrestling, you guys could not be more aligned in everything. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, it's fascinating uh, getting to talk to you, him, and Jim. And yeah. uh, speaking of Jim and the Hacks Hour, I've got a really big announcement to make here on the show. Uh, every week, we encourage all of you to go and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And now you've got a really really big reason to go and do it. Jim and I uh, have been doing our podcasts exclusively on ad-free shows, but we wanted to grow our audience. So we are now moving this bi-monthly show exclusively to the Everybody's Got a Pod YouTube page. So that's right. You've got all things Ted DiBiase and Jim Duggan in one place, and it's our YouTube page. You can get the first eight episodes of the Hacksaw Hour right now on adfreeshows.com, but every episode moving forward is going to be only on YouTube. We're not going to have an audio version. You can only watch it. Uh, a lot of people actually prefer to listen to their podcasts that way, so it's going to be a lot of fun. It's on the YouTube page for Everybody's Got a Pod, youtube.com slash at Everybody's Got a Pod. Get over there and get subscribed today. Man, Hacksaw is such a fun storyteller. He's got so much personality. going to be a lot of fun ha having him help us grow our page, huh, Ted? That will be awesome. Yeah, you got to get us all together on one of these <laughs> or like a, a round table if that's possible that is a hell of an idea yeah. um yes we will definitely do that this year like a special event, event, you, know? Yeah. you know you know what it's 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 occurring to me that uh you know not only were you guys all of course here at uh the royal rumble but you guys are all going to be working at wrestlemania 5 uh, which was which is going to be 35 years ago this year so maybe that's going to be the opportunity to get all three of you guys on one show wow I, I think we might have to pull the trigger on that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but without further ado, you ready to get into these notes about Royal Rumble? Oh, let's go with it. 
All right, let's get it. So the former Sheep Herders are coming into the WWF in late 1988, but they've been rebranded as the Bushwhackers. And to say that their characters have changed would be a big understatement as they're coming in the door here. Ted, what do you recall about your earliest experiences about around Luke and Butch as the Sheep Herders? Uh, you know what? Those guys were great. And, and, I, and I loved them. I mean, uh, you know, it was kind of like the... Uh, <laughs> their gimmick you know they do the deal and they would you know, <laughs> get everybody to follow them but you know you know aside from the gimmick you know and, and all the faces they could make and, and all that stuff they were really great workers i mean it was another it was like a night off because they were so easy to work with uh you know you didn't you know you didn't have to do much coaxing or or leading it was just it was just a natural and so uh, to have a, a tag match with those guys, I would always look forward to it. You know, Vince brings them in and they make this change. And again, you know, it's kind of like me. Uh, you know, they're going to be good guys, but they're going to the kids are going to like them because of all that crazy stuff they do. You know, for me, uh, you know, the first time I went to the WWF, I was I was a babyface. So when when Vince brought brought me back in. He brought me back in, you know, you know, the whole thing. We, we told the story about, you know, here's, you know, the one thing everybody hates is someone who by virtue of their wealth bullies people, the, the character of the million dollar man. And, and I was, and I was healed, but it was always easy uh, to work with these guys uh, because the kids loved them. And of course it was especially, I, I had a lot of fun because, uh, you know, being one of the most hated heels, you know, and, and wrestling with the, uh, with the Bushwhackers was, and, 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 you know, and they would do, uh, you know, they would do things to where, you know, it's like, I'd be back, backing up like this. And <laughs> what's in the, he comes in the ring, he just taps me on the shoulder and I turn around and he just pokes me in the eyes <laughs> and I just go down and sell the heck out of it. Just, you know, some of us, some of it was silly stuff, but, you mix you mixed it with a serious match. It's it's hard to explain, but they were great at it. They were, and you know, I think that a lot of the old school diehard wrestling fans are like, ah, you know, the, uh, Vince ruined them. They were the sheep herders, and they were, you know, this this really nasty couple tag team wrestlers, uh, hard the original hardcore type uh, style. And it's like, hey, look, you know, that might not fit your preference. However. I would be willing to bet that they would tell you they made the best money while they were with the WWF and their legacy is what they did in the WWF, much like yours is. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. A couple guys that got the Hall of Fame nod in 2015, very well deserved. Absolutely. Um, well, somebody who's getting ready to head out the door at this time is your old friend, Harley Race. He's coming off surgery and he'll make a brief return in 1988 before leaving the company following the rumble. Apparently, Harley is citing road fatigue as one of the reasons he was leaving, which really kind of stuck out to me as I was reading about it, because we're talking about a guy who was the traveling NWA world champion. And now here he is in the WWF and he's like, hey, this travels too much. It's man, uh, that is that yeah. really speaks volumes. What can you tell us about how brutal the travel was here in in the late eighties? Oh gosh, uh, I mean, you know, when I started, some of the guys told me they said, "Ted," they said, the first couple of years when he was just trying to, he said it was even worse. And I said, "Worse? Yeah, it was worse." I mean, I mean, they would be on the road sometimes for, I mean, like. Weeks on end, you know, like, I mean, could you imagine going on the road and not 
not getting home for two months. Oh my gosh. You know, but, uh, by the time I got there, they, they, they had started to whittle it down and they, it, it, back then when I first started, it was three weeks on the road and a week off. So it was 21 days, 21 cities. Oh, that's brutal. Yes. Oh, I mean, you know, I, I would wake up at hotels sometimes and, and lay there a minute and go, okay, where the hell am I? And I would actually roll over on the, you know, in, in the, the, in the hotel rooms, there's a nameplate on the, on the phone and it's got the, the name of the hotel and the phone number. And I would have, to, sometimes I'd roll over and go, Oh, okay. I'm in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, it's just absolute insanity what you guys yeah. are doing out there on the road. And it's like, you know, you're living that rock star lifestyle. Of course, you're going to do rock star things like maybe take an upper to, to be able to make the next town or, you know, OK, I need to blow off some steam after the show. You go and get drunk with your friends. So it's like it's 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 no wonder that there were so many issues going on in these yeah. days. Yeah. And, and, you know, talking to Jake about this whole thing, he had said, uh, you know, I'd, I'd mentioned this about Harley and he was like, well, here's the difference. He's like, Harley was the traveling NWA champion, but he might work whatever, three days if uh, during that travel week. He's like, we were working every single day. He's like, so, yep, we're, we, he's traveling about as much as, as before, yeah. but now he's got to work every day as opposed to maybe three or four days a week. Well, and uh, I don't know, uh, again, I know that when uh, the NWA champion would come to the Amarillo territory, and that's where I was during the time that uh, Harley was champion. He was, he wrestled every night. Oh, he, wow. Yeah. I mean, it was like he came in and he, he would wrestle whoever the top baby face at the time was, you know, and then every night they'd go an hour. Now, you know, I don't know. He, he may have had to have a couple of, travel days or whatever but the the life of the the world champion now the other it's like the okay the wwf world champion was only the world champion in the wwf mm -hmm. the awa world champion was only the world champion in the awa territory the nwa world champion was the world champion in territories all over the country. That's the difference. A lot of pressure, a lot of expectation. Yeah. Uh, so, man, it's incredible that he, guys like him and Terry Funk and all the others, Rick Flair, were able to do it at the at the level that they did for as long as they did. Yeah. Um, well, so I do have to ask you before we move off the topic of Harley, uh, the character that he was portraying here in the WWF is a huge, huge departure from what we saw him as previously in his career. Um, you know, in years prior, he was this no-nonsense wrestler's wrestler type guy. Uh, but during his WWF run, he's working as King Harley Race, and everything is very gimmicky and cartoonish. Uh, we know that Vince was trying to go more mainstream, of course, as you and I have discussed here before. But I'm like, your personal opinion, uh, you come into the WWF, Harley Race is King Harley Race while he's here. What did you think? Would it would they have been better served letting him just be Harley Race of old? You know, well, my opinion is yes. You know, uh, you know, for me, it was kind of like, you know, the people have seen this guy um, as, you know, just Harley Race. This, you know, I mean, you know, uh, <coughs> 
you know, in the make-believe world of, of professional wrestling, he's a tough guy. And in, in the real life, he's a tough guy. Right. He's he's a guy you do not If you, I, I would say it this way, if you had to walk down a dark alley at night and you knew there were a bunch of thugs in the alley, if you only had your choice of having one person to go with you, it would be Harley Race. But sometimes I wonder if that was like Vince, you know, like a, like a rib, you know, like, okay, this big tough Harley race and I'm going to make him king. <laughs> Again, you know what I have to, and here's the thing that's hard for me too. It's like, um, and I think Jake would probably agree with me in this because we grew up in the old school way. Our fathers were old school wrestlers. And so this new thing with the WWF and, you know, trying to market towards children and, you know, toys and, you know, stuff like that, you know, you're bigger than life, you know, hero uh, Hulk Hogan and, you know, and I'm like Snadley Whiplash, you know, <laughs> everybody's got a price for me. Kind of, kind of cartoonish. And so, you know, I, I have to keep that in mind in terms of what Vince would find for Harley. So, you know, yep. I don't know. I, it swings both ways, I think. He was selling to a different audience than you guys had been in the territories. In the territories, you're selling to adult men. Uh, and in in the WWF, you're selling your product to children. And so, with that being the case, kids like cartoons, which means you've got to be a cartoon character. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you had mentioned that it, possibly a rib on Harley and Harley used to be a uh, promoter, of course, much like, much like Vince. So may, maybe, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire sometimes. And I do have to ask you, I asked Jake this question and he didn't know anything about it. So I'll ask you, did you ever hear the story of Harley threatening to kill Hulk Hogan before race joined the WWF? Nope. You didn't? No. Okay, uh, so I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version because I don't know all of it, but in a nutshell, uh, I guess uh, he was pissed off that the WWF was stealing business from his territory, and so I think he actually pulled a gun on Hulk Hogan at one point and threatened him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look the story up and come come back more prepared the next time. You know, I know I've heard it. I just don't remember all the details. You know, you know, I might have, when we when we get through the podcast, I might pick up my phone and call Hulk and go, "Did he really do that?" <laughs> As a matter of fact, and you know what, I'm just going to Google it real quick so we can actually talk about it because I think that Hulk is the one who revealed the story. So here we go. Here's the article. Um, getting through the bullshit part of it. We pumped the signal. This is Hogan. We pumped the signal into Kansas City for eight weeks. Harley Race had been there for like 18 years. He was the NWA champion. I'm the champion of the world, and he's a very proud and mean son of a bitch. And all of a sudden, here comes this blonde-haired idiot from New York and went, I'm the WWF champion, the WWE champion. I'm coming to Kemper Arena. We pumped the segment. So I come. I fly into town. I show up about 2 in the afternoon. My guys call me and said, Harley Race came down here with a gun. He tried to light the ring on fire. They told me. <laughs> <laughs> 
They told me Harley said, when I show up, he's going to kill you. I had to go to the bathroom and my stomach was killing me. So I'm sitting on the toilet going to the bathroom. Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, said, oh, my God, the fucking guy is here. He's going to kill you, Hogan. I pull my wrestling yellow tights up. I don't even wipe my ass as fast <laughs> as I could because I don't want to get caught with my pants down. And I don't have a fighting chance. I blow out of the bathroom. I turn around the corner and he puts that gun right in my face. He said, I should kill you for coming in and doing this. And this is Harley Race talking to me. And he puts the gun down and he goes, I really need a job. <laughs> I went, holy shit. I shook his hand, brother. I was a huge fan. Love the guy to death. Wow. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So he said, Harley, Harley said, I really need a job. Yeah, huh? I guess. I guess at first Harley threatened him. And then he was like, by the way, could I get a job? <laughs> yeah, well, and, and again, you know, you have to understand that Harley was one of the owners of the Kansas City Territory. He and Bob Geigel and uh, I think it was Pat O'Connor, those three guys were partners and that, you know, the Kansas City Territory was like, uh, and it wasn't a huge territory, but I mean, it was, it was theirs. They were the, they were the owners, you know, they were the promoters of that territory uh, as a team, you know, O'Connor, uh, Harley and, and Bob Geigel and Bob Geigel and, and O'Connor are both, I think, older than Harley, mm -hmm. you know? So anyway, as hearing that story, uh, would you say that that like you knew Harley race about as well as anybody, does that sound like the Harley race you knew? Yeah, I could see him doing it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, like you talk about a rib. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hey, go. Oh, man. Awesome. I'm glad we read that. Um, another guy who's going to retire briefly in 1988 before making his return at the end of the year is Big John Stud. He'll be coming back into the company as a baby face, and he's going to get a nice push right out of the gate. And talking with Jake and Hacksaw about John, I heard varying accounts on how they viewed him as a, as a performer and as a guy. What were your experiences like with John? Uh, you know, I didn't have too many, but, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't that impressed, okay? Mm. So... So, you know, we're talking about a dude who's whatever, 6'10", 7 foot tall, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's, he's impressive to look at, but, right. you know, uh, his, his work didn't impress me that much. No, it's, you know, you've got Andre, and then you've got pretty much every other 7 foot giant out there. Like, Andre's in a league of his own, so, like, comparing the two is, uh, yeah, it's uh, not easy. Just curious, um, you know, what, what did Jake say? So Jake was like, he seemed like a nice enough guy and everything, but he was like, essentially he was like, the guy was dim witted. <laughs> it was pretty much how he put it. He was like, I, I think Jake actually said he was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. He was a little bit closer to being like a butter knife. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's basically, like I said, you know, big guy, very impressed to, to look at, but his work. No, no, he, Left a little bit lacking. Apparently, it was so Bruce Pritchard tells the story that Big John came in and said, like, hey, Bruce, you know, I'm ready to come back to work and, you know, I can deadlift whatever. It was some crazy amount, like 1,200 pounds or something. He's like, I can deadlift all this weight. He's like, I'm in the best shape of my life. So Bruce gets him to the gym. And he's like, all right, we're going to film a, a vignette of you uh, deadlifting. And here he couldn't do it. 
and so uh bruce had to put some gimmick plates on the thing to get the vignette (laughs) yeah so uh so yeah apparently he told a big whopping lie to come back into the territory here but still he's coming in and he's getting a big push and he's about to win this royal rumble which is you know back then it, it wasn't quite what it is now where you get the title shot and it's this huge thing but it is still like they're really highlighting this guy coming back in the door yeah um so uh, both jake and jim pointed out about john that andre did not like him at all and uh after the rumble the two of them are going to be working together what do you remember about andre disliking big john stud uh yep (laughs) yeah uh no he didn't like him at all uh and and you know and again obviously um Here's a guy who is not that good, uh, and is is big. And when you're when you're Andre the Giant, you know it's kind of like you know it's it's Andre's like you know there's only one giant, and it ain't you. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't you, John Stud. <laughs> so I you know and and again, okay, not too many people, you know. A lot of people had the same, you know, thought about John Studd as Jake, me, probably, I don't know, I don't know if you asked Hacksaw, uh, but, uh, you know, it's just, you know, he's uh, wasn't a bad guy, you know, big, strong guy, but, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't this, you know, and, and again, obviously, uh, uh, willing to lie to get back in, <laughs> get, get, get Get back! Oh, well, all of a sudden, you uh, you, you you can't. What happened? Did you not eat your Wheaties this morning? You know, you didn't you didn't eat your spinach, so you could pull a you know Popeye routine and lift all that weight. Yeah, it gotta so, be a little bit embarrassing to have like a vignette centered around it. And oh yeah, what you said, and then you can't do it. Yeah, oh, well, that would be terrible. But, you know, but um, you know, to me. There were a lot of big guys, and there were a lot of you know, a lot a lot of big guys that you know. There were some that that were you know decent workers. To me, nobody topped Andre. Andre, you know, Andre mastered the 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 skill of being able to get in the ring with somebody that's half his size, and find a way to make the people believe that he just might lose. That's hard to do. So, but Andre could do it. I mean, how many people that got in the ring with Andre were as big as Andre? Not to, nobody. Yeah, probably nobody ever. Yeah. So, man, it's, yeah. And, and by the way, like, uh, you know, Jim did have nice things to say about Big John Stud in that, like, he was like, he was a nice guy. He was really soft spoken. He was a gentleman. Uh, he was like, so I had no issues with John. Um, but that being said, you know, like objectively, a guy like you or Jake, who's like second generation wrestler, you view wrestling very differently from from anybody else where, yep, it's sports entertainment, but also it's like it's it's a it's a trade, right? It's, it's a yeah. trade that's been passed down to you from your fathers and something right, that you right. learned and put your heart and soul into. And you see a guy like this come in and you're like, this guy's getting a big push because what? Because he's huge. Like he can't work like I can, you know, so it's got to be a weird, warring well, and, and again, I didn't, you know, it's like uh, I didn't have anything against him. Yeah, you know, wasn't that? But it's just, you know, he he was a yeah, he was very big and impressive. But that's about where it ended. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like to your point, it couldn't work. Right. You know, you know he had you know whoever's in the ring with it has to leave him. Andre could get in the match and 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 tell the whoever he's working with what to do and how to do it. You know, here's what we're gonna we're we're gonna do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Andre, you know, Andre had that 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 ability. John Studd did not. So that that raises an interesting point. It's something I never talked to you about before, Ted. When you would get into the ring with Andre, I know that usually he was your tag team partner. Um, did you ever face him though? You know what? I never did. Never. I, I never had a match against him. Okay. I was always his tag team partner, and that is and that is that's smart. That that's you know. You don't want to get on the big big man's uh, bad side, and I think you know. I don't think he he didn't like Jake for some reason. So Andre had an issue with Jake apparently right out of the gate. I, so from the way that Jake tells it, they climbed into the into the ring the first time as they were starting their starting their program. Actually, during this period, late eighty eight into eighty nine, and uh, Jake said, "I got into the ring with him the first time, and he just ate me up. He didn't give me anything." Um, you know, you're out in the ring, you can't exactly take anything from him either. So, like, he he just wouldn't give me anything, just ate me alive out there. So apparently, Jake stormed into his locker room afterwards and confronted him and said, "Hey, look, we can have shitty matches all through this program, or you and I can work together, uh, and make this something good." And I guess Andre respected it. And after that, he and Jake had no issues. But he did like to rib Jake in the ring, and he would like get him pinned down and fart on him, or step oh, on his oh, hair and then pull oh, his arm. Oh, yeah, I I was yeah. I was, I was Andre's partner. Yeah, when he was doing that, he, he, he'd st- yeah, Jake had that long hair, and, you know, and he'd stand on his hair, and he'd say, "Get up, get up!" Jake's <laughs> <laughs> going, "Ah, ah!" <laughs> Such a mean rip. <laughs> like, what can you do about it? Uh, not, 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 nothing. You're like a plaything in this guy's yeah. Game. Um, I'm curious though, uh, what I was driving toward before was when you're in the ring with Andre, whether a tag team partner or whatever, who calls the match? Does Andre call it or does like a more technical guy like Jake? Well, it's like, again, you know, and I, I understood that. I mean, like when I'm Andre's partner, you know, Andre is limited as to what he can do. So I'm the guy that's got to be in the match and, capable of taking the bumps and, and bouncing around the ring, you know, especially if you're the heels, you know, and, uh, and, and I, of course I was always a heel and, uh, so was he, I mean, with, you know, with, with in the WWE when he, you know, he turned heel and he and I are partners. And, and uh, so, but somebody's got to get beat up. And of course that's gotta be, that was me. If you don't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you were, when you, were the ball time, you know when it, when it came time you know for the for like the, uh, the for the baby face to make the hot tag you know and come in and, and you know clean house I had to be the guy to take the bumps because Andre couldn't take that many bumps so you know and that was understood I mean that was just that's just logical right right so, he's not going to be out there bouncing around the ring no. No, uh, but I had, yeah, I had no problem with Andre ever. But it sounds like he respected you and yeah, grew to, grew to respect Jake. Yeah. 
Um, on the way to the Rumble, you're making the loop with Hercules and beating him every night with a little help from Virgil. But on December 26th in Toronto, Hercules is going to have some travel issues. And instead, you're going to face Sam Houston. And Sam is, of course, the, the brother of Jake Roberts and a second generation wrestler like yourself. Ted, what can you tell us about your impressions of Sam Houston and his ring work? Um, when I first, you know, again, I've known him since before he, you know, got in the ring. Uh, you know, like uh, when I was working for Bill Watson and Grizzly Smith, who's his, his father, was the agent, so to speak. You know, Sam was around then, you know, but uh, uh, he, he was okay. I mean, you know, he, you know, again, he was very young, you know, when I was around him and, you know, like, and he's just starting out in the business, but uh, I thought he was, I thought he was okay. He was decent. You know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't bad. It was like, I wouldn't uh, thumb my nose at him. That's for sure. Compared to Jake, though, not exactly the same kind of second generation chemistry that you had with Jake. No, I don't think so. Um, about a week after you defeat Sam Houston, you'll step into the ring with one half of the Young Stallions, Paul Roma, for a TV match. Paul is one of those names that we will likely never bring up on this show again. So let's take full advantage right now. Paul had a great look, uh, fantastic build, seemed to be pretty good in the ring. What did you think of him? Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, you know, I, I didn't. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, obviously I didn't think he was like uh, the greatest of all time, but I mean, he was a good worker. He was a good, solid worker. Um, um, but I don't know that if I, you know, I just don't know that I would ever have, you know, I don't, it's one of those guys who I didn't think I, I respected his work, but he was never going to be a superstar. He's one of those guys that, you know, like a lot of times we like hear some of these gimmicks and we're just like, ah, you know, like Harley Race is a great example. We just talked about him where it's like, ah, you know, it's it would have been great to have seen territory Harley Race here in the WWF. Paul Roma, on the other hand, like he's just a dude. He's just Paul Roma. And I feel like a guy like that with his build and his look, like he would really benefit from having kind of more of an over the top character that people could really sink their teeth into, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, probably a missed opportunity with him because, like I said, the guy looks like a million bucks. He, I mean, an eight by ten of that guy, you're like, hey, that guy's a star. He looks like somebody. Um, and, and, and he was a good, solid worker. Right, right. Yeah, so, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, no, you know, it was kind of like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I would much, be, would, uh, much rather be in the, in the ring with Paul Roma than, uh, than, <laughs> than who? I think I have an idea who you might be referring to. And <laughs> well, actually, that person is the next subject that we're about to move on to, if you can if you can believe it. Um, so at the Royal Rumble, we've got a couple of other guys with great physiques who are about to go at it. The Ultimate Warrior, who I assume is who you were talking about, and Rick Rude are squaring off at this event, but it's not in a match. Instead, Ted, they're going to have a pose down here to determine the better physique. Uh, Ted, I asked Jim and Jake this question, so now I'll ask you. Um, you came from the territories, blood and guts stuff uh, in Mid-South, and it, the loaded glove and, you know, second-generation yeah. star, all this background that you have, and now here you are. It's a pay-per-view. It's a pretty big-money slot uh, if you if you boil it down to dollars and cents, the amount of TV time they're using up. And it's a pose-down with a couple oiled-up guys flexing at each other. Ted, uh, what did you think about this? 
I was like, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of like, really, <laughs> really. I mean, this is what we're, this is what we're going to do here. Uh, we're, we're not going to have a, a match. We're going to have a pose down. Oh man. It was like, but again, you know, of course that, that was the, that was the old school me speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like even now, as I got older, it was kind. It took me a long time, as I as I got older and matured and looked back, and 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 at some of these things, you know, you know what I what I it was it was kind of like, um, kind of like this is the way I was taught. This is the the best. This is the way wrestling should be, and you know, but but Vince McMahon had a different vision. And to his credit, it worked. You know, it's kind of like everything changes, you know, over time. You know, it's just, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's kind of like because of my mentality and how I've been raised in the business and everything. And, you know, yeah, it's kind of like uh, we used to do a K, the kayfabe thing. Kayfabe that meant, you know, keep your mouth shut. You know, uh, if you're in a program with a guy, don't ever let anybody see you guys like riding in the same car and all that stuff. Um, you know, you, you know that it's a show, but you treat it like it's real as far as the public is concerned. And, um, that's how, you know, that, that was my mindset. You know, well now, you know, Vince is coming along and basically said, look, yeah, we, we're, we're sports entertainment. So what we're good. Mm-hmm. You know, let me show you how good. And so he just, yeah, he took wrestling to a place that, you know, I I, I, I never envisioned. And to his credit, I mean, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if it hadn't been for Vince McMahon and, and what he did for my career. I mean, and for for wrestling as, I mean, 93,000 people at the Pontiac Silverdome. Oh, insane. WrestleMania three. I mean, wrestling draws the largest indoor a crowd ever for anything. That's pretty impressive. It shows you that there's demand for it. And like, yep, uh, to your point, c- criticize this pose down as, as much as you want. And certainly I do. It's I, I view it as a fan. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like if, if I was watching this on pay-per-view and I paid money for this, I'd be like, come on, can we just have some wrestling or something? Uh, yeah. th- that being said, after this is like Warriors on the biggest run of his career. Uh, following this, he's selling all kinds of merch, and you know fans are coming out to see him. He's going to be world champion here in like a year. So it's like Vince is doing something correct with the way that he's marketing this guy. Also, I have to imagine that having Warrior out there posing is better than having him in a match, right? Yes, <laughs> he's a much better poser than he was a wrestler. <laughs> so we'll give him that. Yeah. Ted, let's get to our first clip this week. You pull a random number and maybe aren't quite so happy with the results. We're going to share this, the link to this clip in the description so everybody can watch it. <laughs> well, the time has finally arrived for the million-dollar hand to pick the million-dollar number. And the winning number is... Wait a minute. Slick, slick, slick. Uh, hey, what's up, man? What's up? Slick, Mr. Uh, listen, I got a question for you. When you picked uh, your numbers for your voice today, uh, 
Were you happy with it? <laughs> Brother, unbelievable. That happy, huh? Hey, man, exactly. Well, let's 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 go talk this over. I, I got something to talk to you about. That's really important. What's up, man? Gentlemen, excuse me, gentlemen. Oh boy, you're up to something there. <laughs> Man, such a character. And I mean, it's such great character stuff for you here, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was good. Yeah. And I, you know what was that a gold suit I was wearing? No, that was uh that was sparkly green. Sparkly green? Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Sparkly uh, green. Hell of a suit and hell of a very distinct, identifiable look that you've got there. <laughs> Um, I mean, when it comes to something like this, Ted, you know, we always hear that guys like Jim Duggan and Arn Anderson, they would get given creative and they're just like, yep, no problem. Like, yeah, whatever you say, I don't care. And, you know, not not really guys that make suggestions. They're just like, OK, this is what you want. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Yeah. Uh, were you like that or were you every once in a while saying like, hey, you know, can I throw my two cents in on this or like, hey, what if we change this to this? Well, by and large, most of the time, I was I was I was like the rest of the guys, uh, because I mean, it, again, at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of kind of like uh, there's no bargaining power. I mean, I mean, wrestling, regional wrestling died. If you left the WWF, where are you going to go? You didn't have any place else to go as a wrestler, so. If you want to keep your job, then you do what you're told. And that's basically, you know, that's where Vince had everybody. You know, back in the regional days, back when you could, you know, like if you were working, you know, like for Georgia Championship Wrestling and and they asked you to do something that you didn't want to do or you feel felt like you were being mistreated, you could just give your notice and go to another territory. Well, now... There was no other. There was nowhere else to go. Now, now, for me, I did have one place I could go, and I could I could have gone back to Japan, but I mean, you know, I I, I got treated really well. I mean, my gosh, they ran with my character. I mean, for a long time. I mean, as a top heel, I was probably the one of the the top heels for the longest run that of anybody. Yep, probably the most identifiable mainstream heel that's ever been established. It's you. Um, and by the way, I want our, our listeners to kind of hear that. Like you were much like Jim and, and Arn saying, yep, yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, let's just do it and I'll do it to the best of my ability. And all three of these guys have had very, very long careers. So there's something to be said for just like, okay, that's what you want to do. Maybe yeah. I don't agree with it, but I'm just going to do it as 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 well as I can and yeah. let's see how it goes. So yeah. it's, you know, I know a lot of fans are like, oh, well, he should have said no to that gimmick or like, ah, I, I, I think I can do better. No, not necessarily. Sometimes you just got to do what you're told. Well, and, 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 well, I got like again. And as I just explained to everybody, you know, okay, you don't like, you don't like it. Well, quit. <laughs> Where are you going to go? You know, Man, there were still a couple territories, but they were, you know, and Turner's getting ready to buy, uh, or maybe they have bought, I think they have, uh, you know, the WCW's an option at this time, but, you know, the other options are like Jerry Jarrett's promotion, WCCW, and it's like not a ton of money going around. Down oh, there. yeah, yeah. You weren't going to make any money there. Right, right. Yeah. 
So you better so. just uh, better just run the play. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're not wasting any time before we get to our final clip this week. Uh, you would successfully purchase the number 30 spot in the Rumble. And when it comes <laughs> down to the end, it's just yourself, Akeem and Big John Stud in there. Let's have a look. Same one more time. Oh, look at that. Whoa. Big John pulled the million dollar man right in front of him. Big John Stud. Oh, oh, look at that. Akeem is gone. It's Big John Stud, the million dollar man. If I was the million dollar man, I'd try to buy off Stud right now. I don't like DiBiase's chances right now. He's saying, wait a minute. Look at He's showing him the money. Oh, and Stud's not going for it. DiBiase looking for some money, perhaps to bribe this. You're not going to bribe Big John Stud. Hey, everybody's got their price, Gorilla. He could throw you a fib and get you to go for anything. This is what it's all about. He's sucking him in close enough to get an eye rake, but oh, look at that. Right by the throat. Big John Stud, extremely confident right now. I don't think Ibiazzi can hurt this guy. He did well when Akeem was in there with him, but look out now. Whoa. Big John Stud just measuring the million dollar man. Scoops him up. Big body slam. John's having a good time, Jess. Yeah, John better not get too confident. Double arm suplex. Look at this. Hook up somehow. I've never seen Big John Stud do that before. Neither have I. Big smile on his face. Extremely confident suplex. Gut right suplex. Threw him away like a piece of garbage. Big John Stud. Takes him in for the ride. Whoa. I'll tell you something, though, Gorilla. As bad as it looks for the million-dollar man right now, don't count him out yet. Why? Because Virgil's still out there? No, because he's a darn good wrestler. Oh, oh. no! <laughs> so just as Jesse is saying, like, hey, don't count him out. Oh, never mind. He's gone. <laughs> but, man, uh, I don't think you got any offense on Big John Stud there at the end. He just kind of dog whipped you and threw you out the ring. Oh, that was it. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, of course, the people loved it. You know, that was the whole deal. That's it. You got to send folks home happy. And, you know, it's look, you may not necessarily agree that this guy's going to be a future superstar, but you're given a job to do. You got to shine this this baby face and you yeah. did it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, based on his look and his character, could you see him going on to have success or did you know it like, yeah, this guy just doesn't have enough under the hood? Uh, well, you know, I mean, he, he he would have some success, but I mean, it, it wouldn't be long. I, I wouldn't say he would have a long run. Well, you're right. He went six months. Uh, he was gone here in June 1989. Yeah. And that's because, you know, his capabilities, you know, there's only so much you can do with him. 
That's it. Uh, so, Ted, before we wrap this one up, I also did want to mention that the plans are beginning to form here for uh, Mania 5 in many respects. Namely, the Mega Powers will have an issue here that will start their breakup and lead them down the road to the main event, too, where Savage will accuse Hogan of having lust in his eyes for Liz, which is a hilarious line. Um, Ted, this is a year-long storyline with these two. It's finally starting to come to a head. What's your take on super long storylines like this? Good stuff, or should angles be reduced to something like six months at a maximum? Well, you know, I, it just depends on who it is. You know, mm. um, you know, and I, I would say it depends on the talent and are they capable of keeping it going. And if they're keep if they're capable of keeping it going and and keeping the interest of the people, will get go. You know, I was, you know, like one of the things I was, you know, uh, you know, that started happening that I didn't like was there was like the, some of the storylines were just too short. Mm. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you know, uh, I don't know, you could, you know, back, back in the uh, territorial days, man, uh, you get the heel that could come in and, you know, he would, uh, he was, he would rule the roost for a long time. You know, I mean, it was, you know, it would take a long time to get to that place where you have the big blow off. If you know what I mean. And to your point, you know, it's uh, you had been paired here with Hercules. Uh, and now like that's essentially over after this Hercules yeah. is moving on out to, I don't know what, and I think you're going to be moving on to Brutus, the barber beefcake for mania. So it's like, yeah, uh, yeah that you've got a really short storyline where Hogan and Savage have been building this thing for a year. And, you know, uh, a, a lot of fans Ted consider this mega power storyline, the greatest storyline in the history of wrestling. We've talked about a lot of your stuff over the years and or, uh, over the course of the podcast and, some of your great storylines objectively do you feel that the mega power storyline is the greatest storyline ever told in wrestling well gosh i don't know i mean it was good obviously it was good and it was financially good because it worked mm -hmm. uh, but yeah i mean uh, the, uh, the, the greatest angle of all time how do you do that i don't even know what that would be so it's 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 a tough question to think about the yeah. greatest storyline of all time. Uh, when I asked Jake that question, he was like, "Oh, I don't I don't know what the you know." There's so many; it's hard to even kind of consider yeah. it. So many um, different things we did. Right, right. So uh, yeah, and I don't know. I'm gonna it's I'm gonna like, give it. It's kind of like let's go back to Mid South and uh, you know you know like uh, who's that in the gorilla suit? <laughs> <laughs> See, now that's good stuff. That's an underrated storyline. Uh, I can't wait for us to talk about that. We will, folks, coming up sometime right. soon. Um, okay, guys, that's going to do it. That will wrap us up for this week. We're turning our attention back to Georgia next week. But now it's going to be January 1984, and your rivalry with Tommy Rich is going to get kicked up another notch with the introduction of the mysterious Mr. R character. So, uh, Ted, I can't wait to go and have a look at that before oh, we go. And I had so much fun doing that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we, you know, I did a similar thing with with JYD. Stagger Lee, right? Stagger Lee. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> Man. Same gimmick, same angle. It's tried and true in wrestling. You've got Stagger yeah. Lee and, and the Midnight Rider and Mr. R and the, you know, this is yeah. good stuff and I cannot wait to watch back some of this footage and go over that next week. Before we go, I have to do my usual reminder that if you'd like to get this podcast with no commercials and get access to a ton of sports and entertainment and wrestling content, get over to premierstreamingnetwork.com and sign up for Premier Plus. Uh, we're over there. RVD's over there. 
you've got Sabu over there. You've got so many great wrestling podcasts, hours and hours and hours of content. All you've got to do is subscribe right now. PremierStreamingNetwork.com, Premier Plus. Also, we don't want you guys to forget that we have been nominated for the Best Wrestling Podcast of 2024 through the Sports Podcast Awards. If you're listening to this and you've enjoyed our show, do us a big favor. Go to my social media or Ted's social media and click the link to cast your vote for us. Or you can visit sportspodcastgroup.com and cast your vote that way. It only takes a couple minutes and it would be a huge honor to win the whole thing less than a year into the run of our show. So. Uh, again, you can find the link on my ex account at Marcus P. D'Angelo or on Ted's social media at MDM Ted DiBiase. Or if it's easier, just head to sportspodcastgroup.com and cast your vote right there. All right. Uh, that is going to do it for this week, Ted. As always, it's it's such a blast to look back uh, at yeah. this, this era of pro wrestling with you. Well, I, and I appreciate it. And Marcus, you do such a you you do a remarkable job of of of. Uh, I mean, doing your homework to delve back in. I mean, you know, you're, 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 you're bringing up a lot of stuff that, you know, I go, gosh, I, I, I forgot that. I forgot that. I had forgotten that, you know, cause, uh, well, and again, I mean, you know, when you wrestled for what, almost 20 years and almost every night, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to remember them all. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I'll be like, so, Ted, it was October 26, you know, 1984. Let's talk about what you're doing. And you're like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't remember what I did two days ago. And I'm asking yeah, about yeah. what so that's why I go, Marcus, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the big highlight is that I got to let you know that Harley Race pulled a gun on Hulk Hogan during this episode. Oh, yeah. So, uh, glad we got to cover that. I, I could, yeah, I mean, Harley was a, I could see Harley doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can I also see him doing it as a rib. Yeah. I mean, if he was looking for a job, that is one way to get the guy's attention. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, really. <laughs> well, guys, we'll look forward to bringing you more, more stories next week. Right, Ted? That's right. And remember, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. Yeah. See you guys next time right here on Everybody's Got a Pod.